following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good evening. It's good to be with you. For those who are joining us online, we welcome you uh, to this portion of our evening, Wednesday evening Bible study. And uh, I'll invite you, those who are here in person, as well as those who are listening online, to Turn in your copy of God's Word to uh, the book of Galatians, written by Paul, and uh, to the very back, to Galatians chapter 6, where we will be this evening in verses 16, 17, and 18. And uh, you'll notice that those are the concluding words of Paul, the final words of Paul, uh, which include his benediction and uh, one final exhortation that we'll look at this evening. As uh, we've studied the book of Galatians, we've uh, realized through Paul's writing that the major theme or topic of Galatians, I hope uh, you'll remember with me, is uh, his counterattack to opposition which he was receiving from Judaizers in their message uh, against, that was opposed to Paul's message, that is, that they taught a message, a gospel message, that included not merely just Christ, but also a law-based salvation, one that required adherence to uh, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, including primary, primarily things like circumcision and um, observation of days and years, the Sabbath, uh, things that pertain to the law of Moses. And Paul was counter-attacking counter this uh, kind of message because it uh, was a direct attack upon the gospel of Christ Jesus, which teaches that salvation is by grace, uh, through grace, by faith alone. If you remember all the way back to Galatians chapter 1, and uh, you can turn there if you'd like, but I'll read that for you now. Paul addresses the kind of turn of thought of mindset that's taking place in these Galatian churches in verse 6 of chapter 1 where he says, I marvel that you are turning, so, turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. Paul pointing out that there is no other gospel. There is only one true gospel that uh, pertains to Christ. Verse 7, uh, but there are some who trouble you, that is the Judaizers, as we've learned and so called them in our study here, who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And Paul is not going to allow any such kind of gospel to be spread around the churches which he has uh, fostered and which he has taught in. And so he is going to, uh, to counterattack this kind of perversion that's taking place. And so as we've studied through the rest of Galatians, Paul is coming, coming again, kind of reoccurring, kind of in a cyclical fashion, uh, opposed this message in various ways by giving various arguments and examples um, why this, this perversion is um, not the true gospel, but is that a perversion of the true gospel. Now in Galatians chapter 6, uh, at the very end here, Paul has said a number of things uh, to these Judaizers, beginning in verse 11, and I'll read that to you here. 
where he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. So Paul's speaking about the Judaizers who are, who are seeking to persuade uh, the believers in Galatia to become circumcised. What, for what reason? What is their motivation? Well, we see in verse 12, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And so we talked about last time how the motivation for this was that they were uh, trying to, um, to avoid suffering for the sake of Christ. They were trying to avoid the suffering that uh, inevitably came along with an allegiance to Christ. And Paul knows very well about that suffering that takes place when you, you claim to be a follower of Christ and you live by that standard. Verse 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Here we see the hypocrisy of the Judaizers. They were calling them to be circumcised and to follow and adhere to a law that they themselves uh, were unwilling to fulfill or to keep. And not just that, they were unable to keep. It was, uh, it was an unattainable uh, uh, standard to which they were seeking other, trying to convince others to follow. Verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we said last time that normally we, we don't condone the idea, of, uh, the idea of boasting, but there is one exception, and that is uh, that we boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because that is the only thing that we can boast in. By whom, Paul writes in verse 14, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And last time we looked at the kind of dual kind of crucifixion that has taken place, both in Paul's life and those who are true believers. Uh, you have been crucified. The world has been crucified to you. Therefore, meaning you have no longer the affections you used to have for the things of the world, the desires of the world. Those have been put away in your crucifixion. Uh, and also, he says, an eye to the world. And we said that uh, this alludes to the idea of that the world no longer sees any value in you as a believer. Uh, you are kind of cast to the side. You have no value to them. And then verse 15, as it connects to where we'll be this evening, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Then Paul writes here in verse 16, where we'll continue our study this evening. He writes this, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We'll begin by looking at verse 16 and, and uh, connecting what Paul has said prior in verse 15 to what he says here in verse 16. Notice that at the beginning of verse 16, he says, as many and as many as walk according to this rule. What is this idea of rule? What is he referring to here? Well, the word rule has the basic idea of measurement. It was often used in, a, in the sense of a principle or standard, a rule, a standard, a principle to live by. 
And in verse 15, Paul has just stated a principle regarding the gospel. And now he is making that principle the standard, the rule, as it's spoken about here in verse 16. So we ask ourselves this question, well, what is that principle that he's making a standard? Look back at verse 15. The principle given regarding the gospel is that circumcision nor uncircumcision uh, is relevant to salvation. It's irrelevant. It avails nothing. Uh, avails, it doesn't avail anything. Rather, he says in verse 15, a new creation. That is what matters in regards to salvation and the gospel message. So, uh, we said the principle regarding the gospel given in verse 15 is that circumcision or uncircumcision is relevant to, the, to salvation. Rather, what matters is that Christ has divinely accomplished uh, what is needed for our salvation on the cross. Thus, this rule that Paul is referring to in verse 16 is namely the doctrine of salvation apart from the, from the law. That is the standard which he's speaking about in verse 16. Therefore, Paul is stating that the ones who walk by this rule, as he states in verse 16, are those who have not embraced a legalistic view of salvation, that is, a, a uh, doctrine that teaches that circumcision is necessary for salvation. So it's not those ones, but those who have embraced the doctrine reflected in the gospel message that Paul has taught them, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in him. Therefore, uh, what Paul is saying here in verse 16 is that Paul is pronouncing his benediction, as it were, of peace and mercy upon those who believe in the standard, that is, that salvation is by grace through faith alone. And, he says in verse 16, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, the phrase uh, Israel of God has been kind of a problematic idea for some uh, scholars and for perhaps any, any one of us who have read this verse before. And some say that it should be translated as many as many as walk, peace and mercy be upon them, even the Israel of God. Others have even said that this translation should, or it should be translated like this, that uh, peace be upon them and mercy upon the Israel of God. And so uh, in that sense, they're making a distinction between those who are true believers, so those who, who walk according to the standard, so the standard which is the true gospel, so peace be upon them, and then mercy, kind of in contrast, be upon the Israel of God. So may the Lord have mercy on those who aren't living according to that standard, who, those Israelites who have rejected the true gospel and are living either in this legalistic kind of uh, religious uh, ideology or just are blatantly rejecting Christ's 
and his, uh, and his work on the cross. But I don't think uh, that either of those views are adequate and reflect uh, the purpose uh, for which Paul uses this phrase here, Israel of God. I think um, what would be a better explanation of this idea of Israel of God is this, uh, that Paul is making a slight distinction for the purpose of his final argument here between the Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians who have rejected a law-based doctrine of salvation. Let me say it another way, another way. Jewish Christians who have embraced a grace-based doctrine of salvation. They have rejected the idea that they must be circumcised in order for salvation. Perhaps they have. If they're Jewish, most likely they've been circumcised. But they're rejecting the idea that that's required for their salvation. Rather, they embrace the standard, which is, Uh, what Paul is speaking about here in verse 16 and in 15, and believe that it is in Christ alone that uh, they can receive salvation. Therefore, if Paul were using this term to... If Paul were... Let me say it this way. If Paul was uh, not making the slight distinction between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians... Uh, he would not have to use this term to refer to those who have accepted the gospel of grace because he would have already made mention of them when he says, and mercy be upon them. You see that in verse 16? He says, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Them is referring again to those who believe in the doctrine of salvation according to grace. And so if he was including both Gentile and Jewish Christians in that them, Why does he go on again to say, and upon the Israel of God, it'd be as if he's repeating himself. Uh, But I don't think that he is. I think he is, again, making the slight distinction between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Why does he do this? This kind of seems to contradict what he said earlier earlier on in Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 3 for a moment. Galatians chapter 3. I think I've lost my spot for one second. Let me... Yes, Galatians chapter 3 in verse 26. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it seems, as we know, and that's, uh, and what, according to what's taught in other epistles written by Paul, that Paul usually makes no distinction between Gentile and Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, in relationship to their um, in their relationship within the church. 
So why does Paul make then this kind of slight distinction here in verse 16? And let me tell you why I think he makes this distinction. He does this, uh, if I can say this, in one final direct attack against the Judaizers' thinking and mindset. So he's not trying to make a distinction between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. More directly, he's trying to make a distinction between Jewish Christians and Jews who believe they are spiritual descendants of Abraham, Abraham's seed, spiritual descendants like he talks about uh, in Galatians chapter 4 and 5. And so um, he, is a, he, is, he is reminding the Judaizers, as he has, if I say reminding in a very kind of uh, uh, empathetic way, really he's attacked them, but he's reminding the Judaizers that only those who have placed their faith in Christ alone are true spiritual descendants of Abraham. They are the only they are the true uh, recipients of God's promise through Abraham. Remember um, what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter three, verse seven, where he says, "Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham." And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before, saying, And you, all the nations, shall be blessed. Verse 9, So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So again, it seems clear to me, thinking as I look at verse 16 and this idea of Israel of God, that Paul is not saying uh, there is a distinction between a saved Jewish person and a saved Gentile person. We saw in Galatians chapter 3 at the end there that they are all one in Christ. Rather, he is emphasizing that only Jews who walk by faith are beneficiaries of God's peace and mercy that he is wishing upon them here in verse 16. The Judaizers are excluded because of, from this group of Jewish people because they have not uh, walked according to this rule that he's talked, spoken about here in verse 16 and mentioned. Okay, so we, we, we continue on here in verse 17. Paul then writes, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Here we see in verse 17 that as he concludes his letter, he is commanding his adversaries to stop troubling him. And he gives the reason why at the end of verse 17 here. Paul now says that uh, these people should stop troubling him. His trouble could be that he is troubled about the condition of the church there. More likely, people are coming after him personally, questioning his apostolic authority. We saw that already. Uh, he addresses that at the beginning of Galatians. Seemingly because someone, perhaps specifically the Judaizers, were trying to attack his authority and undermine then his gospel and absurd their own ideas and their own doctrine. 
So it's more likely that uh, he is being he, the troubling that he's talking about here, or is though are those who are trying to attack him to undermine his authority, undermine his gospel, and attack him personally, and accuse him of preaching heresy. But of course, we know that it's not uh, what he was doing. And in verse seventeen, here he says. Uh, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He affirms here that he has received many persecutions for the sake of Christ. He says, for I bear in my body, also on his body, physically, we believe, we know that would be the case, the marks of the Lord Jesus. The mark on his body are the marks of persecution. Paul has taken it uh, to his body through persecution, many marks for believing and preaching all that he has just written about, about Christ and the true doctrine of salvation. And the cross and its offense to man's beliefs that they are good enough and can save themselves. Ironically, if we can say that, as we just read back in verse 12, the Judaizers were unwilling to embrace the gospel because of the persecution that it would bring. And now Paul is commanding these ones, these Judaizers, to stop troubling him because he has borne born and bears the marks of Christ on his body. He has willingly embraced those marks. He has willingly embraced that persecution, unlike the Judaizers, but now he is commanding them an imperative, I no longer desire anyone to trouble me. Let no one trouble me. It's a command. It's an imperative for those who have done this against him to stop it. Enough, he is saying. These Real marks that Paul has experienced are not like the circumcision kind of marks of the Judaizers that are self-inflicted, so to speak. These are the true marks of a believer, one who willingly embraces persecution for the name of Christ, not in order to boast in himself, but again, as we know, Paul bore them for the sake of Christ in order that Christ's name might be proclaimed. We have an account of many of these persecution events that took place in the life of Paul. Paul recounts them in uh, 2 Corinthians. And uh, let's turn there just for a moment. We have the time. 2 Corinthians, and um, in chapter 4, one second, let me get there and make sure I'm in the right place.
excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I knew I was going to the wrong place there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn with me there. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this uh, in verse 24. From the, in verse 24, he says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and a, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Verse 28, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I and I do not burn with indignation? And, um, of course, Paul is making uh, a different kind of argument here, but uh, we see here a, uh, an account of perhaps only a portion of the things that Paul had to go through and he did it not uh, to boast, although Paul goes on to say, if I could boast, if I, if I allowed myself to, I would, and these are the things I could boast in, but I, I don't boast in these things. But we do know that Paul often went through persecutions and even was stoned to the point of death, almost, except that God graciously spared him from that situation. And so... Paul, again, as we go back to Galatians chapter 17, commands those who are troubling him, both verbally, both by undermining his authority and uh, seeking to attack his gospel. For he says, I've, I've borne, bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 18, Paul writes this, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In closing, Paul prays for grace to the readers. It is always relevant to ask for God's grace to be with someone, as we've prayed that kind of prayer this evening in our prayers. This is an extra measure of God's unmerited favor. It's not as if we deserve it, but we do ask for it, and we do pray for it for one another. We all need God's grace. The more, the better if we indeed if indeed it can be measured out in portions. God's grace often flows in an unmeasurable amount, and we are thankful for that. And indeed, we are not going to get real favor anywhere from anywhere else except from God. As we conclude this evening our time, I was thinking about this, uh, Paul's final argument here. And as he wishes peace and favor, peace and mercy, excuse me, upon those who are true believers, I, I noticed that Paul uh, leaves no area or no room for sympathy upon the Judaizers. He doesn't wish peace and mercy upon them. And he doesn't, um, and he commands them 
amongst any others who are troubling him to stop. And uh, we ourselves are sometimes faced with those who are seeking to undermine the true doctrine of salvation, false teachers, those who are trying to undermine uh, the authority of Scripture, undermine those who preach from the Scripture and who, tr- who preach the true, pure doctrine of salvation. And I believe, like Paul, that we are, uh, we are given the authority to address them with what is true and to confront their false teaching like Paul has done in Galatians, but then leave it at that. Address the issue with authority, with Scripture, so that the truth is told and so that they are accountable with the truth, but then leave it aside, put it aside. Don't go back to it again and again and argue multiple times. Often those arguments lead to no profitable end. And so we leave those kind of people with the truth, as Paul has done here in Galatians, so that the truth continues, so that uh, the pillar of truth remains. And then we leave it at that. And so perhaps uh, there are those that you know who are seeking to undermine the truth, who are trying to invade the church and to, uh, to allow for a, a, a kind of watery form of the gospel or a legalistic form of the gospel, whatever the case may be, one end or the other, address them with the truth and then uh, separate from them if that's needed. Don't allow them to mar uh, the gospel of Christ. Don't, uh, and don't allow yourself to be consumed in trying to argue with them. They have received the truth. They know what it is if you've truly and accurately presented it to them, and they will be held accountable for the rejection of it if that's what they so choose to do. I hope that uh, as we conclude now our time that this study in Galatians has been profitable to you. Pray that you haven't uh, lost the forest, so to speak, in the trees as we've spent our time uh, walking through these verses, uh, but that your faith in uh, the gospel of Christ has been strengthened and that your realization that there is nothing you can do to add what Christ has done to you has become more and more apparent to you through this study and that that, uh, that should give you peace, that uh, there is nothing else that can be done The only thing that we can do, as Paul said, is boast in what Christ has done for us. Let's pray and close this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for this letter which Paul has written, uh, not directly to us, but Lord, it is still applicable to us today as it is a part of uh, our canon, your, your word, the scripture, as we have it today and as it has been preserved through uh, the centuries so that we can glean from the truth therein. We thank you for Paul's words, Lord, for this exhortation uh, that we too uh, must live by if we profess to be true believers. 
Lord, we thank you that we can receive your peace and mercy and that uh, we have uh, not just uh, a reconciliation, kind of a, a judicial peace, a reconciling peace because of what Christ has done, but also just uh, a peace that transcends all the kinds of peace that the world tries to offer us. Lord, the peace that only can come from you, mercy that can only come from you, and grace that only comes from you in an unmeasurable portion. We thank you for that. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us uh, here and there online. And uh, may the Lord bless you. May his grace be upon you this evening as you go your way. Thank you and good evening.